my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we talk about the decentralized revolution. We talk about the way the world is changing right before our very eyes. And of course, unless you're living under a rock, you see this, you see it happening, you see it coming, and it is here. And I like to look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, because it brings context to things. What I want to talk about today is the money. The money is changing really fast, and it's changing for many reasons. One, technology is changing money, uh, but it's also changing politically, and not just politically like inside the United States or whatever country you're in, but geopolitically. Because money communicates, or it it communicates value, but it coordinates economies. And as I talk about the decentralized revolution, we swing on a pendulum from centralization to decentralization. And so for the last 250 years, the pendulum has been swinging to centralization and we're peaked out. This globalization has peaked out. As a matter of fact, at the globalist agenda at their meeting last week in Davos, one of the big topics they talked about is that globalization is over. How does the world work when globalization is over? More importantly, what they're saying is how can we save the world? How can we save the world from climate change? The French president uh, Emmanuel Macron got up and said that we have to have a one world government. If we don't, how can we coordinate and fix climate change? And so, um, you know, that's their viewpoint. But if it's ending and they know this and they said, you know, how does this work in an age of deglobalization? And so as the world deglobalizes, um, then the way that we trade changes and the way that we use money in the world changes. And so as the world has been trading, freely, right? We have these just-in-time supply chains um, interlacing the world. You know, you, you have your average iPhone has parts from six different continents in it. But as the world continues to break apart, as we continue to have less and less trust with each other, how do we continue to trade? And more importantly, the dollar. 
The dollar is the reserve currency of the world. It's the homogeny. Uh, everybody in the world uses and accepts dollars. And the dollar has become a payment network. If anything else, well, the dollar is lots of things, but if anything else, the dollar is a payment network. I can move dollars anywhere in the world. Anybody in the world takes those dollars. All the banks, all the remittance companies, they all use dollars. But that's changing because the world is decentralizing. And so um, to understand this, you kind of have to go back to what I call first principles. You got to go back to the beginning and, and ask yourself, what is money? Now, my good friend Robert Breedlove has a podcast titled, What is Money? Uh, because it's a big subject and he digs into this subject each and every episode and you can go on and on and on. And so, like I said, we can, you know, what is money? Well, money communicates value. It tells each other how much things are worth. We don't want the money. We want the good, but we need that money to get that good. It's the medium of exchange. So money's a medium of exchange and it's also a store of value. So again, we don't want money. We want the things that money buys us, but we'll hold money until we want those things that we want, right? And so we'll store our wealth, we'll store our value in the money until such a time as we're ready to deploy that money and then it's a medium of exchange to get what we want. So what you have to understand in order to understand where the world is going, I'm gonna to explain to you what Russia is doing right now, what China is doing right now, um, how, the, how the dollar is losing value and what comes next. But in order to understand that, you have to understand this basic fact of what is money. And so money is those things. And what happens is money is emergent. It's, it evolves, right? And so throughout history, we've used all types of things as money. And even today, we use all types of things as money because all it is is a, an exchange. And so we've had feathers and rocks and seashells. And of course, gold emerged. It evolved as the best form of money because it had the best attributes. And the best attributes are must be portable. Um, a house isn't a good meet, uh, money because I can't move a house with me. Um, it must be divisible. Um, cows were, you know, good for bartering, but if I don't want a whole cow, I can't really divide the cow up. It must be fungible. Meaning if I even, if I did chop up a cow, one part of the cow is not equal to the other part of the cow, right? So one part of steak is better than another part of steak. It must be durable. Bananas make a horrible form of money because bananas don't last that long. Portable, divisible, durable. It also must be saleable and, and recognizable. So people have to take it. If uh, we have Chuck E. Cheese tokens and let's say, let's just do Chuck E. Cheese tokens as money, but nobody takes Chuck E. Cheese tokens, so it wouldn't work really well. And so those are the attributes that allowed gold to emerge and also must be scarce. You can't just have an unlimited amount of them. You have to control, there has to be scarcity. And so gold emerged as that best. But the problem is that gold failed. And it's important to understand this because the world is trying to go back to gold right now. But if you don't understand how gold failed, then you won't understand why going back to gold again in the world we're in today isn't going to work again. So you have to understand that fact. And so gold failed because the world changed. So the world became more and more globalized. And so when I'm living in a small village, gold works really well. But as the world globalized going into the, you know, 13 and 1400s, 14th and 15th century, we started doing more global trade. And the problem is that gold isn't very portable. And so if one country wanted to pay another country in gold, how do they do that? They load it onto a ship and sell it across the ocean and have to worry about pirates and storms and sunken ships and all these things. If uh, you know, I wanted to pay somebody in gold from California to New York, it's very slow and you know, have to get someone to drive it, security, all these things. And so it's not super portable. And so there was a new piece of technology that was created. And that new technology was created in about the 1400s in Florence, Italy. And it was called, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. It was called a ledger. And the ledger would then allow 
somebody, a trusted third party, whoever controlled that ledger to keep track of who had the gold. And so instead of actually having the gold, because gold is very hard and heavy to move around, somebody would just say, uh, Mark has the gold. And then uh, they would give it to you and say, you have the gold. And that ledger was created. This allowed money to move really fast by putting debt on it. So I would give my gold to this trusted third party. They would give me back a paper claim, an IOU that would allow me whenever I wanted to go back and claim that gold, like a pawn shop or um, here I'm in uh, Canada. I gave my jacket. We don't wear jackets really in California, but in uh, here it's cold. I have to wear a jacket. So I go to the restaurant and they take my coat from me and they give me a claim ticket. Uh, when I come back, I give them my claim ticket. They give my coat back. And so that's how it worked. I'd give them my gold. They'd keep track of who had the gold. But the problem is, is what that did is it centralized gold and all the gold ended up going into these banks. And in the early 1900s in the United States, all the gold was sitting in the banks and we had these dollars or paper gold certificates or claims, IOUs. And what happened is the government started printing way more of these paper claims than they actually had gold. And by 1933, the government owed so much gold, but they didn't have it because they printed all these fake claims. They told all these guys they had jackets when they didn't really have the jackets. They told these people they had gold when they didn't have the gold. And so they were in a bad situation. So 1933, Executive Order 6102, the president declared all gold illegal to be owned by people and all the gold that was in the bank, they seized it. They confiscated it. Okay. That's why it failed because gold is not portable. And now fast forwarding to today, money as we know it, or dollars or the financial system is now becoming a weapon. And as a matter of fact, it's always been a weapon. Governments have used money as a weapon for as long as we as we know, uh, whether that be uh, using it to fund an army to fight as a weapon or um, to steal arbitrarily from its people. And so the government can only tax people so much before people freak out. And so the way they tax you without you knowing it or without you objecting or getting mad is they do it through inflation. And as they print that money, they're basically stealing from you. So it's been a weapon against uh, us as the people. Governments use it to steal wealth from the people, Zimbabwe, Venezuela, Turkey, on and on and on. It's gotten worse than that. It's gotten bigger than that. And it's been used not just on its own people, but to other nations. And so we can see where this really picked up steam um, in 2014 uh, when the United States and the intelligence community organized a coup in Ukraine. And they overthrew the democratically elected governments of Ukraine to install their own government there. Of course, Russia didn't like that. They uh, moved in um, to take over part of um, Ukraine and so started the war in 2014, where the then the United States weaponized the financial system and applied sanctions to Russia. So when the U.S. Um, powers do that, they weaponize it. All right, I'm going to be back with more. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. I'm talking about the way that Russia and China and the BRICS nations are changing the money, the dollars dying, and what's coming next. And I'm explaining to you from the ground up so you can see clearly I got a whole lot to cover. This is going to be super fun, exciting, and, and informative. So don't go away. I'll be right back with more in a minute. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about, of course, the decentralized revolution, talking about the way that the world is decentralizing, the money is decentralizing, the dollar is losing its place in the world, and what comes next. And so in order to understand what comes next, you have to understand what's happened in the past and the problems that we had. And so I explained the problems with gold, uh, the centralization aspect of it. But now I'm talking about how the money is being used as a weapon. And so we saw, again... um, the government, uh, the United States, started weaponizing the dollar and more specifically the dollar network, the SWIFT system, the FX systems um, against Russia in 2014. And they continue to do that. As a matter of fact, the government uh, started to censor anybody they don't like. Oh, censor you, censor you. Oh, I don't like this policy. Censor you, censor you. And and it's it's um, a way to impose, you know, these sanctions are a way to impose your will or basically steal arbitrarily from these governments. In 2018, there was an article written on CNBC by um, someone named Luft, and he said, quote, that the U.S. was waging war on one-tenth of the world. The U.S. was waging war, and they're waging war economically. Now, you may have heard these stats, but about over 2 billion adults in the world. Now, there's about 8 billion people in the world. So 2 billion adults in the world have no access to banking. And the main reason why is because they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to have access because the U.S. dollar system is permissioned. You have to have permission in order to use it. 
And so these they're not allowed to use it. So for example, let's say that you're in Iran, you're a 15 year old kid, um, you're super pro freedom, you're not happy with um, your government, and you're trying to make a better life for yourself. And so you start an Instagram account, and you want to you know sell e commerce or something. Well, you're not allowed to join the financial system because your country's sanctioned. And so about one tenth of the world is is sanctioned by by the United States, uh, or now today about one quarter, one for one out of every four people in the world today are under some form of U.S. sanctions. Uh, I believe a week ago, a week or two ago, there was a big meeting held in Singapore. And George Yao is the former foreign minister of Singapore. At the conference, he said, quote, if you weaponize the international financial system, alternatives will grow to replace it, end quote. So if you weaponize the international financial system, alternatives will go to replace it. Yes, of course. If you kick people out of the financial system, then they can't use the dollar financial system. So what do they do? Just go in a hole and die? Of course not. They just find another way to do financial transactions. They just find another way. If I'm having a party and I don't like some people at the party, I kick you out, I kick you out, I kick you out, I kick you out, and you guys all go form your own party, you all go somewhere else. One, I have no more control over you. And two, uh, you don't just go die. You go, go somewhere else. You go create your own party. And that's exactly what happened. But really, the world changed uh, about a year ago, February 2022, and the whole world was put on notice. And of course, I've been talking about this uh, since then, but the world was really put on notice as, as it was escalating, as I said, from 2014, 2018, you know, now a quarter of the world's population. And you see, you know, Afghanistan had their central bank reserves um, stolen from the U.S. Um, about $8 billion was taken. And I know Afghanistan, they're bad people, right? Blah, blah, blah. But people the people have their money in the bank and the bank puts it in the central bank. And so when the U.S. took the central bank's money, sure, I mean, maybe they were taking Taliban money, but they're also taking the people's money. Nobody bats an eye when it happens to Iran. I mean, they're bad people, right? They don't bat an eye when it happens in Afghanistan. I mean, they're bad people, right? But what about when it happens uh, in February of 2022 when the world was put on notice when there's three global superpowers in the world, three with nuclear weapons, China, Russia, and the United States, and Russia had their bank accounts seized. And what happened is when they got their bank account seized, every nation in the world was put on notice that, shoot, the dollar is not some neutral monetary system. As a matter of fact, um, it can be taken at any given time. Now, a lot of people message me and ask me all the time. I was at this conference. People were asking me, Mark, what about these bank bail-in laws? I'm afraid that the money in the bank, they'll take it, right, in the bail-in. What should I do to protect myself? Well, that's basically what these nations are asking themselves, right? What do I do if the U.S. takes my money? And so they have to start thinking about ways that they can protect themselves. But more importantly, if they've been completely kicked out, like Russia, they got to find a new way to do transactions. And that's exactly what's happening. And so what I want you to understand, though, is that this is a process and not an event. So people ask me all the time, Mark, when is this going to happen? Well, it is happening. It's happening. It's a process. When the U.S. dollar took over from the pound sterling, which was the last major reserve currency, it was a process. It took about 30 years. And we're in a process and we can witness this. I've given you a couple of data points. Let me give you a couple more. So what we know is that because Russia was forced out of the dollar, they've now made the Chinese yuan their reserve currency. So who's the reserve currency of the world? Well, it's the, it's the dollar for now. Well, what's next? Well, Russia has made China, the yuan, their reserves. As a matter of fact, 17% of their reserves are in Chinese yuan. We have known friendly countries like the UAE, United Arab Emirates. The UAE, 
They have now begun issuing bonds, not in dollars, like they have always done, but in their own currency. So they're getting out of the dollar. Egypt, which is, again, a, a very friendly country to the United States, um, has also started issuing bonds, um, like they always do, but not in dollars. Instead, they've issued $500 million in yuan, Chinese yuan bonds. Um, Israel, which is a big friendly, one of the biggest allies to the United States, specifically in the, in the Middle East, has also diversified their foreign exchange holdings into yuan. China and India are now doing um, deals buying oil outside of the dollar. So these are actual facts. And this is the process. We're seeing these things happen. But more importantly, the big things that are happening is that what we're seeing is that central banks are buying more gold than any time in, in the last 55 years, which is previous to going off the gold standard. And why are they doing that? Well, because they understand that the U.S. dollar is a weaponized system, and they're doing that to take steps to protect themselves. The problem is they don't understand how gold failed in the past. The problem is they don't understand history properly, or more importantly, they don't understand technology and how the world's changing, and this might be the wrong move. So what am I talking about? Well, like I said, central banks are buying massive amounts of gold. Um, we can see that Russia has decided in their central bank to double the amount of reserves they have in gold. Typically, they would hold 20% of their reserves in gold. They've decided to double that to make it 40%. It's a big move. That means they're going to be buying massive amounts of gold, which is why gold has been rallying. Gold rallied from you know the 1600s to over 1900, almost pushing $2,000 an ounce. That's a really, really big move for gold. More importantly, it's a big move for gold because gold is supposed to go up in a high inflation environment. But over the last you know six months or so, as gold's been going up, inflation's been going down. It's not supposed to work that way. Gold goes up when inflation goes up. But now inflation's been going down and gold's been going up at the same time. Why is that? And that's an important piece to understand. And part of it, it's because of the central banks buying massive amounts of gold, including Russia. Um, now, I want to tell you about what China is doing, and I want to explain why they're doing it. We're going to talk about why it's the wrong move, why it's the same old problem. We're going to talk about technology, and we're going to talk about uh, where things are going uh, from a very zoomed out view. And we'll talk about gold, and we're going to talk about Bitcoin, and so much more. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We talk about the decentralized revolution, the way the world is changing, so you can understand what's going on, more importantly, what you need to be doing to protect yourself as this world changes. I'll be back with all that and more in a minute, so don't go away. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, of course, each and every week. And we're specifically talking about how right now, today, in the world... The dollar system has become weaponized against Russia and other countries. And now um, we're seeing central banks around the world buying more gold than any time in history well, in the last 55 years. And so we see the central banks are buying massive amounts of gold and it's pushing gold's price higher while inflation is going down. And that typically doesn't happen. And part of that is because of this massive demand. I mean, come on, look, I, I say it all the time. Prices are driven by supply and demand. If you have more demand, more buyers than you have supply, price goes up. And the opposite is true. If you have more supply than there are buyers, the price has to come down. It's very simple. Now, the gold market, you know, it's about $12 trillion, roughly, give or take. Um, But that sounds like a big market, but it's really not that big because most of it's being held by central banks and it's put away. Then we have the jewelry market. So there's not a lot of gold to buy. And so um, there's really not that much. It's, It's a pretty inelastic market. And so a little bit of buying pressure can do a lot to the price. And so Russia doubling their reserve requirements from 20 to 40% is a massive move. And what that's done is it's sort of, I believe, as, as, is responsible for pushing the price of gold up at this uh, low inflation environment. But more importantly, I think it's probably set a new floor price for gold, meaning there's a buyer now and they're trying to buy lots of gold. Well, supply and demand. There's massive demand now. And I don't see gold slipping back down much lower because of this massive demand. They set this price floor. And then on top of that, we have China just came out and announced the last two months in a row, they've added over 30 metric tons each month. So a total of 60 metric tons of gold, which is a massive amount of gold. Potentially, that could be 5 or 6% of what the gold is held in the United States. And they did that in just two months. We know that China didn't just buy this gold because you can't buy that much. The question is, they've had it all along. Why are they just announcing now that they bought it or they have it? 
that's the question. What are they angling for? Right? They've had this gold all along, but they're just now telling us that they have it. So why? Why are they telling us this? Well, I believe they're telling us this for the same reason that Russia is buying a whole bunch. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to shore up their financial system. They're trying to say, look, we have the gold. And they're doing this to put confidence, confidence, confidence. It always goes back to confidence. It goes back to trust. If they can build confidence in their financial system, they can get more people to use it. And so I talked about all these nations that are now starting to do bonds or put um, Chinese yuan onto their reserves or denominate bonds in Chinese yuan. Now, people will only do that if they have confidence in it. Now, there's not a lot of confidence in China. All right. Uh, nobody really trusts them. There's not a lot of transparency there. There's not a lot of confidence there. So China is working to try to bring some confidence there. And they're adding a bunch of gold. They're telling people they have a bunch of gold. They're being more truthful and they're showing people they have the backing. And people are responding. As I said, we're seeing um, now Israel diversified in the yuan. Egypt issued yuan bonds. Um, right? Russia made yuan 17% of their reserves. And so it's working. They're doing this. All right? This is a process. This is what they're angling for. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that they are trying to fix the problem with a very, very old solution without realizing why this old solution failed and why it will fail again. It's the same old problem. So what am I talking about? Well, as I said, we're going into a whole new world. Now, the 15th and 16th century was also a whole new world. Um, but now we're going into an even bigger world. And as I say all the time, technology is what changes the world. It changes the way the world organizes itself. So uh, an example of this, I've, I've said it before, if you're a regular listener, then, uh, then you've heard it. If you're not a regular listener, then please become one. And you can um, you can tune in each and every week on this channel at this time. You can pull out your phone, put a reminder, and make sure you tune in with me each and every week. Uh, but basically, um, if you look back through thousands of years of history, you see how technology changes the world. So an example of that would be, for thousands of years, people rode horses. And in the you know Roman Empire, they'd ride horses to battle. Um, in the Egyptian Empire, they'd ride horses to battle but they'd get off of those horses to fight. And that's why like in the Egyptian empire, they would use chariots. The horses would get them there in the chariot. Then they would get off the horse and they'd fight. But then there was a new invention. And it, it, it's, it's argued when this invention actually happened, but it's not really argued of when it really came into place. And that's the stirrup, the horse stirrup. And it allowed a knight to get onto a horse with his armor and allowed him to fight from the horse. And so there's, you know, artifacts and, and some stuff that argue that the, the stirrup was invented earlier than about 1000 AD. However, um, really where it started to change the world was when knights could fight from the horse. And the reason why that's important is because that allowed the feudal system to, the centralization of the feudal system to grow because now one knight could handle hundreds of serfs. And it allowed the, the power and the centralization of the feudal system to rise up, the kingdoms um, controlled by the knights, and they could control the many, the peasants and the serfs. But then about 500 years later, we had the gunpowder revolution. And now one serf or peasant with a gun could take out a hundred knights. And then it broke the centralizing power of the monarchy and pushed people back into a more of a decentralized manner. So that's, that's an example. And we have a new technology as well. And what am I talking about? Well, we're in the information age. The internet has changed the world. Now, already in the 15th century, we had that through global trade and we had to move into this ledger system. But today we live in an information age. You're listening to me right now uh, over the internet or over the airwaves or something like that. So we're in this information age. And the problem is, is that old money like gold 
doesn't work in the information age. What we've done is we've moved from the, the physical world with physical laws to informational or man-made rules. And that is the crux of the problem. Okay. So in a physical world, it's very simple, right? If I have a, a gold token in my hand, everyone knows that Mark has the gold token in his hand. And if I hand it to you, everybody could see that. Everybody knows that you have the gold token in your hand. That's in a physical world. But in an information world, then we need to use something like a ledger. And the ledger would, uh, instead of being directly represented when I have it in my hand, now the ledger indirectly reflects the state of things. And the ledger tells us who has the gold token in their hand. Ledgers are informational and they're centralized because somebody has to control the ledger. Tokens are inherently trustless. If I have it, I have it. If you have it, you have it. Ledgers are not. I have to trust whoever's controlling that ledger. And that is the crux of the problem. So if we zoom out and we take a look at things, what we can see is that, as I said, the world is deglobalizing. It was the big trend at Davos and the WEF. And as the world deglobalizes, we have less trust with each other. And there's less liquidity. And this technology is opening up to give us a way to manage this, but it's not going backwards. Now, about every 50 years, there's a technological revolution. That means there's a new technology that's so revolutionary, it changes the course of humanity and it drives all financial markets. And we're witnessing one right now. And the revolution is decentralization. That's the revolution. So not... Uh, not faster money, it's decentralization. Because as we move into this new world, we're moving from one of physical, a physical world, to an information world. And as the world decentralizes, we need stuff that can move around the world and it needs to move permissionless. We can't get permission from every single little tiny country in the world to move. In a globalized world where we have one world government, it kind of works, but in a, in a decentralized or deglobalized world, it doesn't work. We need to be permissionless. It needs to be borderless. It needs to be able to move seamlessly across the world. And it must be trustless. We don't want to put our trust in somebody controlling the ledger because we see how well that worked out for Russia. You do one wrong move and you lose all your money, even if you're a global superpower with nuclear weapons. And it must have all the attributes of money. It must be portable, divisible, durable, um, saleable. But most importantly, it must be neutral. It must be something that nobody can control, a decentralized ledger that nobody can control. All right, now, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, and I'm explaining how the world is deglobalizing, decentralizing, and how this is going to change the money supply, and how all the moves of the central banks over the last several months are going back the wrong direction. I'm going to be back with more of that in a minute. You don't want to miss it, so don't go away. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, of course, each and every week, how the world is changing right before our very eyes. And we're talking about how the central banks around the world are buying more gold than any time in history because they're trying to build a new financial system. Um, the U.S. has weaponized the U.S. dollar. They've weaponized it against all these nations, and they've uh, really, I think, crossed the Rubicon, so to speak, jumped the shark, we might say, when they took away Russia's bank accounts. Over $500 billion was seized, and the whole world was put on notice, like, shoot, if that can happen to Russia, it can happen to anybody. It was one thing what happened to these like little small countries, but what about us? And so now they're trying to stack all this gold. And I'm explaining how um, the problem with gold is that centralization happens because it doesn't move over space. And so in this new world where we have deglobalization, we can't have something physical. We can't go back to the way things were because it, it failed because it didn't work. And so if we try to go back to the same system, it's going to fail for the exact same reason. You can't just go back and do the same thing again. You have to fix the problem. Fixing the problem was going from a physical world of gold, moving physical gold to a informational-based system of a ledger. But that solved that problem. Under the Bretton Woods Agreement, the U.S. dollar system was a neutral payment system, so it solved the problem of gold uh, that it doesn't settle over time and space. But it then eventually created new problems, which is where we're at today, which is now whoever controls the ledger controls everything, and we have to trust them, and we are finding out over and over that we can't trust them. So that's the new problem. And the other problem is that as the U.S. continues to kick everybody out of the system, those people are forced to go find their own system. 
build a new system and that's exactly what's happening. I just think they're building it the wrong way and a new system is also emerging at the same time. And so as the world continues to break apart, as there's less trust, as we need to continue to have global trade, we need a decentralized ledger that nobody can control, that we don't have to trust anybody with. First of all, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a decentralized ledger that nobody can control. It's borderless. You can move it around the world seamlessly, instantly, for free. It's borderless. It's permissionless. Anybody in any country, anywhere in the world could download an app on their phone and instantly have Bitcoin and transact with Bitcoin. Not so with dollars. As I said, about 2 billion adults in the world have no access because they don't have permission. They'll never be able to get permission. It's borderless. It's permissionless. And it's trustless. I don't have to trust the bank not to steal my money. I don't have to trust the US government not to sanction me. I don't have to trust anybody because it's a decentralized ledger that nobody can control. Now, what about um, all the other 22,000 cryptocurrencies, Mark? How do I know Bitcoin's the right one? Well, I was just speaking at this gold conference. It wasn't a gold conference. It was a, it was a mining conference and they mine more than gold, but mostly gold. And I made the case to these gold guys. I said, gold is a metal, right? It's a precious metal. There's lots of precious metals. And there's lots of other metals that aren't considered precious as well. Aluminum, steel, chromoly. The precious metals are palladium and platinum and silver, right? So there's lots of precious metals and there's not all metals are precious metals and not all precious metals are gold. And so I could say gold is a metal, but really when I'm talking about gold, I'm talking about gold. When I say that the central banks are buying more gold than any time in history, I'm not saying they're buying more metal. I'm saying they're buying gold. They're not buying aluminum. They're not buying silver. They're not buying nickel. They're buying gold. And so we also say that about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, but when we talk about Bitcoin, we're not talking about cryptocurrency. We're talking about Bitcoin because Bitcoin is different than all 22,000 cryptocurrencies, just like gold is different than every form of metal out there. Now, how is gold different than all the other metals out there? Well, it has a different set of attributes. There's a different molecular, chemical, you know, mineral makeup of gold that makes it different than all those other metals. It's also different in the fact that it's more scarce, right? So there's different attributes that make gold different than all the other metals. Gold is metal, but it's not the same as all the metals. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency, but it's not the same as any of the other cryptocurrencies because it has different attributes, because it's borderless, because it's permissionless, because it's censorship resistant, because it's scarce. There's 21 million. There will never be more than 21 million. But Mark, what about Ethereum? Ethereum is now more deflationary. Really? Well, Vitalik Buterin and Joseph Lubin and guys that control it have changed the monetary issuance like three times in the last like two years. So they change it to be whatever they want. It's not trustless. I have to trust them. I have to trust them that they're not going to change the rules, but they do all the time. How can I trust them? They do it all the time. They just did it. So I have to trust them. Bitcoin is trustless. Bitcoin is censorship resistant. I, it's peer-to-peer. -peer. I send it to you. Nobody can stop it, block it, or prevent it. But Ethereum, they could stop it. They just change the entire consensus mechanism. All the servers sit on Amazon Web Services. Amazon could just shut it off. And I'm not going to go into all that. You can do your own research. But Bitcoin is different, just like gold is different than metal. And so we need to have those attributes. Now, one of my favorite analysts, Lynn Alden, she says that to equate crypto with Bitcoin is to misunderstand both. And it's not just her, it's not just me. Fidelity, one of the largest asset managers in the world, said that, quote, Bitcoin is fundamentally different from any other digital asset. No other digital asset is likely to improve upon Bitcoin. That's what they said. 
It's secure, decentralized, sound digital money, and any improvement will necessarily face trade-offs. End quote. That's from Fidelity. Any improvement will necessarily face trade-offs. So the real revolution is decentralization. In order to improve on Bitcoin, you can't be more decentralized, which is what gives it the borderless, permissionless, censorship-resistant aspect because it's decentralized. And because you can't improve on decentralization, all the other 22,000 cryptocurrencies try to trade off for something else. Well, we can't be more decentralized, so let's be, um, I don't know, faster. But to get faster, you're less decentralized, which gives it the censorship-resistant nature, which is exactly what the revolution is. Now, Bitcoin can already be sent faster and cheaper than any other cryptocurrency out there, so you can't really improve on that anymore either. They tried to for many years, but now with Lightning Network, you can't do that. So what am I saying here? What I'm saying is that the world's changing and the dollar system is dying. Now, it's not going to die today and it's not going to die this year, but it's a process, not an event. The dollar took over from the British pound sterling a uh, 100 years ago, or 1944 officially, um, but the British pound sterling is still the third most used currency in the world today. So even though the pound sterling was replaced 100 years ago, it's still the third most used. And so even though the dollar is losing its relevance, doesn't mean it just disappears and goes away. When the dollar took over from the pound sterling, it was a 30-year process. The dollar is losing its relevancy over a 30-year process. Doesn't mean it goes away altogether. But also... As the world changes, you understand the problems it faces and you understand that the solutions it needs are not going backwards back to gold. It's not that. Now, the governments don't understand that completely, but you and I do. And what you and I want as you know investors is we want a couple things, but ultimately what we're looking for is the difference or the mismatch of perception and reality. So Bitcoin has been traded by Wall Street like this uh, new, you know, uh, trade toy, right? They love it. It's super volatile. They love to trade it back and forth like a tech stock. But it's not a tech stock, all right? It's not that. It's trading like that today, but that's not what it is. It is a revolutionary technology that can fix this massive problem. There's a mismatch in perception of reality. There's also a mismatch where central banks are going back to the relic of gold, thinking that can solve their problem, but it can't because the problem is that we're in an information age and gold is a physical thing. I can't send it to you over the internet. And even if I make a gold-backed cryptocurrency or something like that, I would still have the exact same problem, which is I have to place trust in whoever has the ledger. Whoever has the ledger can manipulate that data or steal it from me at any time, just like the US did to Russia. So, you and I have the advantage of knowing this today. You and I have the advantage of being an early adopter and writing this out. You and I have the advantage of getting in early because we spot the mismatch of perception and reality, both with uh, the people, both with Wall Street and with the sovereign nations around the world. And we know that this is going to be a long process. This isn't going to happen this year, but it's directionally happening right now. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about the decentralized revolution, how the world is changing, how the money is changing, and how you need to look at things differently so you can get in front of this thing and prosper and have happiness. Hopefully you enjoyed that, and thanks so much for listening. It's brand new, season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.